So it's the book of Acts, chapter 4, 32. Um, so now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul, and no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but he had everything in common. And with great power, the apostles were given their testimonies to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. There was not a needy person among them, for as many as were owners of land or houses sold them and bought them and bought the proceeds of what they sold and what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to us to each as it as they had needed. Thus Joseph, who was also called the apostle Barnabas, which means the son of encouragement, a Levite, a native of Cyprus, saw the food that would belong to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. But a man named Ananias with his wife, Sapphira, sold a piece of property with his wife's knowledge and he kept back for himself some of the proceeds and brought only a part of it and laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your hearts to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land? While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not uh, at your disposal? Why is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to man but to God. When Ananias heard this, these words, it fell down and breathed his last. And great fear came upon all who heard, it, heard of it. The young men rose and wrapped him up and carried him out, of the, and, carried him out and buried him. After an interval of about three hours... His wife came in, not knowing what happened. And Peter said to her, Tell me whether you sold the land for so much. And she said, Yes, for so much. But Peter said to her, How is it that you have agreed together to test the spirit of the Lord? Behold, the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out. Immediately she fell down at his feet and breathed her last. And when the young men came in and they found her dead, and they carried her out and buried her up beside her husband. And great fear came upon the whole church and upon all, upon all who heard these things. Amen. Oh, amen. Thank, Demi, thanks for reading. And uh, on the sheet on your tables, you'll see an outline of where we're going. So if it helps to follow along, do, um, do grab that. Uh, but let me start with a question that's at the top of, those, uh, of that sheet. What would make you back something with confidence? What would make you get behind something or someone? So uh, picture a Formula One racing car uh, lined up at the grids, and a figure walks up to it, uh, wearing a helmet, so you can't see who it is. Uh, would you back them? If you had to bet, would you put money on them winning? Well, the helmet comes off. And you recognise the face of Lewis Hamilton, winner of, the last, of five out of the last six world championships. Is that someone you can back with confidence? Of course. When it comes to motor racing, he's the real deal. Or maybe uh, you're watching Bake Off, maybe that's more your thing. And the camera pans across that beautiful garden where they film it and the big white tent. And through the window you see a silhouette of one of the bakers um, standing at a table. But you can't quite tell who it is. The TV pauses. Would you back them? Uh, what would make you confident that this is going to be the winner? 
And then the camera goes inside the tent, and you realise that um, in some wildly unfair loophole, this contestant is Mary Berry herself, writer of more than 70 cookbooks, ex-presenter who's come back to show Channel 4 what they're missing. Is that someone you could back with confidence? Of course. When it comes to baking, she's the real deal. But now picture a group of people meeting in someone's house. Um, It's a big city like this, but only a handful of people are here. And most of them are clearly not very well off. And this group of Christians um, gathering to read the Bible, pray and share a meal. And they're the butt of all the local jokes. Uh, Several have lost their jobs for being Christian. Their leaders even did time in prison. And rumour has it that things are hotting up against them. Same question. Would you back them? Would you get involved? Or would you only go to their gatherings if you were sure no one noticed? Would you be seen in public with them? Would you take mockery from your mates or pressure from your parents and throw your lot in with these Jesus followers? Or would you kind of wait and see how things go? Well, Acts Acts was written for a guy called Theophilus, and we'll call him Theo, um, who was a first century Christian. And back then, Christianity wasn't this well-established, historic, uh, widespread thing. Back then, it was this weird new movement. People saw it. A bit like how people see cults today. A bit odd, a bit unknown, maybe even a bit dangerous. And so far in Acts, this huge confrontation has been playing out between the Jewish religious authorities, the establishment, uh, respected, influential, powerful, legitimate, and this funny new movement led by some ragtag ex-fishermen who claimed to follow this Jesus who caused a stir and then got executed as a criminal. And Theo and the early Christians had to choose. Who are you going to back? How confident can you be? Is this Jesus movement something to totally throw yourself behind? Or do you just kind of sit on the edge and keep your options open? That question faced Theo, but it also faces each of us here today, doesn't it? Maybe you're here and you're not a Christian. But you're looking at this Christianity thing and this Jesus guy and asking, is there anything in this? Um, If I was to have Jesus in charge of my life, would it work out? Is this Jesus movement something I can join with confidence? And if we are Christians here, uh, the question still applies. Is this Jesus movement, what we normally call church, something we can wholeheartedly back with confidence? Because we feel, feel the pull, don't we, from other things that we could live for. And maybe things are going well for you at work and the next step up is in reach, if only you put the hours in. And maybe there's a lifestyle you know you could have, where you live perhaps, or how well you live, or that guy or girl in the office, or whatever it is, that's saying, come and throw your lot in with me. Make this or that the thing you're going to live for. Well, this lunchtime, in this passage, God says to us that this Jesus movement is the real thing. If you want a racing driver, Hamilton Germain. If you want a baker, call Mary Berry. But if you're deciding what to live for, God says, make it Jesus and his people.
Because this is the real thing. And whatever else is pulling you, God says, back this. Because this movement centred around Jesus will make him what you live for. And whatever that means for your relationships, work, family, lifestyle. And in this passage, God gives us two big reasons to make Jesus and his people what we're living for. And they're there on your sheets. So point one, Jesus' people are God's real thing, the ideal community. Look at verse um, 32 at the beginning of our reading, verse 32. It's page 9112, Acts chapter 4, verse 32. Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul, and no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. So this new movement are one in the most amazing way. They have everything in common. Look on to verse 34 of what it looked like. Verse 34. There was not a needy person among them. For as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet and it was distributed to each as any had needs. So this new community has some um, pretty wealthy people with second homes or, or landowners uh, but also loads of very needy, um, elderly, sick, home, um, helpless, uh, homeless, unemployed. And because they were one, they didn't just kind of cook a meal or uh, pass on some hand-me-downs. They went and sold big stuff to raise money. Uh, not like some kind of communist nightmare. Um, in Acts, we find Christians still owning their own homes. And this wasn't forced. They could choose what to give away. But they said, oh, you need somewhere to live? Well, come and take our spare room. Or you don't have a car? Well, borrow mine. Or, oh no, you've lost your job. Uh, Have my savings to tie you over. Not irresponsible, but radical generosity. Because Jesus' people are God's real thing. This ideal community. But what is producing this unbelievable generosity? Well, look down. In between verse 32 and verse 34... Luke puts verse 33 to show where it's coming from. Verse 33. With great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And great grace was upon them all. So the apostles are the group Jesus appointed to testify to his death and resurrection and the message of free forgiveness and peace with God. And only this message produces this community. Because once people receive grace, there's this free gift of their guilt forgiven and God the Holy Spirit inside them to change them, without having to do anything to earn it, well, it transforms people. But if you've been following Acts so far here, you may find this feels a bit familiar. Because back in chapter 2, we had a very similar thing. Just glance back at the page. Um, chapter 2 and verse 42, towards the top of page 911. Chapter 2, verse 42, we get a very similar description of um, the church. Verse 42, they devote themselves to the apostles' teaching. Verse 44, they're they're together and have all in common. Verse 45, they're selling their possessions and distributing to those who are in need. Uh, So why do we get it again? Luke just kind of, here's a filler, copy and paste. No, as um, Joel's been saying in this series, Acts is volume 2 of Luke's Gospel. And at the start of Luke, he tells Theo that he's recording the things that have been fulfilled among them. 
as John's been saying, the things that have been fulfilled by Jesus. And those things are what God promised or foresaw in the Old Testament part of the Bible. And the key in our passage is verse 34, if you look down. Start of verse 34. There was not a needy person among them. Because with that um, phrase, Luke is picking up on a vision that God laid down in the Old Testament, in the book of Deuteronomy, uh, for the kind of people, the kind of community that his people would be. Just listen, Deuteronomy 15 verse 4 says, There will be no poor among you. It's the same word as here in the original. God wanted a community where people would just freely cancel debts if someone got into trouble. Or would gladly lend without um, expecting anything back. And this is what is being fulfilled here. What Israel were were meant to be, but never quite were, is now being realised in the early church. This ideal community that Jesus produces are God's real thing. And verse 36 makes the same point, verse 36, look down. Thus Joseph, also called Barnabas, a Levite, a native of Cyprus, sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. And Luke singles um, this Barnabas out because at middle of verse 36, his background is significant because uh, he's a Levite. And in the Old Testament, the Levites were the uh, priestly tribe. And so not only would it, we expect this guy to take the side of the temple authorities because that's who he's from... But the Levites were meant to be supported by their communities. But here, that ideal is being fulfilled, but turned upside down in a radical new way. As here, verse 37, this Levite is giving to support others. What Old Testament Israel were meant to be is being fulfilled in this Jesus movement. As people receive Jesus' free gift of forgiveness, people are transformed. And they become the generous, selfless community God always wanted. Because remember, Theo is feeling, and we're often feeling, can I really back this Jesus movement with confidence? Can I wholeheartedly throw my life behind Jesus and his people? Luke says, yeah, totally. This is God's real thing. And that doesn't just um, happen in Acts, but wherever the true message of Jesus is taught, this takes root. Um, so around 250 AD, a couple of centuries after this, um, an Egyptian Christian called Dionysius was writing about how Christians responded when plague struck their cities. And he says this, Christians showed themselves unbounded, showed unbounded love and loyalty, never sparing themselves and thinking only of one another. Heedless of danger, they took charge of the sick attending to their every need and ministering to them in Christ, and with them departed this life serenely happy, for they were infected by others with the disease, cheerfully accepting their pains. And he goes on, he says, the heathen, that's people who weren't Christians, behaved in the very opposite way. At the first onset of the disease, they pushed the sufferers away and fled from their dearest, throwing them into the roads before they were dead and treated unburied corpses as dirt, hoping to avert the spreading contagion. Isn't that remarkable, that contrast? Across history, knowing Jesus' free gift of forgiveness and God's transforming work produces the ideal community. Not perfect, as we'll see, but the real thing. The thing that we can throw ourselves behind 
with confidence. And if you're part of a church on Sundays where Jesus' true message is taught and lived, uh, you'll know something of this ideal community yourself. And I used to work uh, for a lunchtime talk a bit like this, and um, maybe five or six years ago, this guy called Dinesh came along. We met just a handful of times, so he wasn't much more than a stranger. Uh, But in our um, Bible study groups, we were studying this bit of Acts, and one day he emailed to say, uh, we've got a car that we don't need anymore, and it wasn't an old banger, they were going to sell it for about 6k, but they didn't really need the money, so he said, would you like to have it? And I thought, this is crazy, isn't it? And when my non-Christian mates heard, they thought it was crazy too. Someone you don't really know that well just gave you a car because you're both Christians. But this is what Jesus produces. Um, at our church, we, the people who will um, provide accommodation for those who need it. Or step in in emergencies and give whatever they can. Or offer huge amounts of time. Because they know firsthand the transforming power of Jesus. And isn't this what our world desperately needs? If you're not a Christian today, isn't this deeply attractive and yet so hard to find? Where people don't just think of themselves but, um, and aren't selfish with their stuff. There was not a needy person among them. This Jesus movement is the real thing. It's the community the whole Old Testament looked forward to. We can throw ourselves behind it with confidence. Uh, but second reason on your sheet, point two. Again, we can be confident Jesus' people are God's real thing because we see in chapter 5 this awestruck community. Let's look down again. Verse 1. A man named Ananias with his wife Sapphira sold a piece of property and with his wife's knowledge he kept back for himself some and brought only a part of it and laid it at the apostles' feet. So we need to be clear um, what exactly is done wrong because the problem isn't that they kept part of the proceeds. Uh, Peter's question in verse 4 shows that. Look down, verse 4. Peter says, While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not at your disposal? So he's saying, look, you didn't have to sell anything in the first place. And even once you told it, you didn't have to give all the money away. So the problem isn't that they kept some. The problem is that they pretended they were giving it all. Uh, that's confirmed in verse 8, if you look down. Peter's question to Sapphira, tell me whether you sold the land for so much. And she said, yes. But still we can think, is this really that bad? I mean, okay, sure, they've tried to look good, but like, they've given loads of money away. It's not that big a deal, is it? Surely it's a bit much for them just to drop down debt. And it is shocking... But if we think it's not that bad, we're in danger of thinking a bit like Ananias and Sapphira did. Because they thought it wasn't a big deal. Because they underestimated what church is. They thought this Jesus movement was just an interesting way to spend a Thursday lunchtime or to occupy the kids on Sunday morning or um, whatever. But what they're doing is way more serious Because what the church is, is way more serious. Because Luke's showing us that Jesus' people are God's real thing. So yeah, they're greedy, they're misleading. But the heart of their sin is there at the start of verse 3, if you look down. Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit 
And repeat at the end of verse 4. You have not lied to men, but to God. They don't just lie to people, but God. They don't think this really matters. They don't think church really is the real thing. But God does this, and Luke records this awestruck community to show that Jesus' people really are God's real thing. So reason one, reason one was pretty exciting, wasn't it? The ideal community. Reason two is quite scary. And end of verse five, look down. Great fear came on all who heard it. And verse 11 again, great fear on the church and all who heard. God is saying, take Jesus seriously. This church matters to him. He won't be messed with. But again, this is, this is fulfilment. Because like the first half, this also echoes the Old Testament. Because at several points in the, in the Bible story, people mess with God and get struck down. Uh, like here. Um, so in Leviticus, Aaron's sons, you may know, they uh, try and um, enter the, the, the tabernacle in ways that they shouldn't. And they get consumed by fire. Or in Numbers, a guy called Korah rejects what God says and does his own thing. And the ground swallows him up. And this terrifying episode with Ananias and Sapphira is meant to make Theophilus think of places like that. Because God is showing that now the church, Jesus' people, are his real thing. The temple used to be the place, but now this Jesus movement is what he cares about. And if it's what God cares about, surely it's what we should care about too. You may be thinking, does stuff like this happen today? Well, of course, God does miracles all the time. But this is a unique moment in history uh, when the church, this Jesus movement, is just beginning. So this, this kind of thing is maybe more of a one-off thing from God to show that the church is his real thing. Or you may be thinking, but hang on, look, I wasn't there. Look, if this kind of stuff happened today, then a lot of people would take Jesus a lot more seriously, wouldn't they? But the thing is, Theo wasn't there either, was he? And that's why Luke tells him up front that he's carefully investigated everything. He's spoken to the eyewitnesses. He writes to give Theo and us certainty about what's been fulfilled. Because he wants Theo and us to be convinced that this is the real deal. So that we're not distracted by all the other things we could live for. This is where it's at. This is what God is doing in the world. So we can get behind it wholeheartedly. Uh, Not to look good and serve ourselves like Ananias and Sapphira, but for Jesus and for his people and for the world around us that badly needs this transforming message. And so what would it look like to get behind this with confidence? Well, for some here, maybe it's time to make the move to follow Jesus in the first place. Or maybe you're here and you know that there's something else that's competing, that's really pulling on your heart right now. Well, why not chat it through somewhere here or on on Sunday at church or wherever? Commit to making Jesus and his people the main thing. And maybe it would look like getting behind this lunchtime talk in a new way or throwing yourself into your local church or perhaps a workplace group, Christian group or, or something. Maybe it'll make a difference to how we use our money or our time or what we do with our families or what we do with our whole lives. But it'll look different for all of us, won't it? Which is why we don't just want to hear a talk up front, but we want to chat with each other. Um, So I've put some questions at the bottom of um, 
your sheets uh, to help us do that. Uh, But before we uh, close, let me pray for us. Our Father in heaven, thank you so much for what you have said to us this lunchtime. Uh, Thank you for showing us that Jesus and the movement around him is the real deal, is the thing that you're doing in this world. And Father, we pray that whatever it looks like for each of us in our different situations, that we would all be people that throw ourselves behind it with confidence. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.